is no, you get to a certain point and then you should start thinking about getting refunds. Like, you know, you should go to a, a store and, or you come and see me and I'm going to direct you to find the right product right off the bat because from day one, it's going to be something that helps you to get better and, um, and, and be more effective. things I find fascinating are the characteristics behind many different brands. Some of them are outgoing and energetic, some are a little bit more laid back. So in this podcast, we look to explore all the different characteristics, not only of the brand itself, its roots, its origins, but the people behind the brand. And is there a bit of a relationship between the characters of the people and the characters of the brand? Before we crack on with this episode, I wonder if you could head over to the sportspodcastawards.com. That's sportspodcastaward.com, where Legends of the Brand has been nominated for Best Winter Sports Podcast. If you head over there, you can register and your support can help us get to the top of the leaderboard. Voting closes at the beginning of March, so if you head over there now, that'd be greatly appreciated. Now, on with the show. Well, good afternoon, good morning, and welcome wherever you are, and welcome to this episode of Legends of the Brand. And today, I'm rather stoked and excited to have with us, all the way from the other side of the world, Aaron Kim. So welcome, welcome, welcome aboard. Hello. Well, good to see you, Phil. I've been talking <laughs> a long time. It's good. It's, um, I'm rather excited because, you know, you and I, we, we spent a, a fair amount of time together uh, many, many moons ago, and yeah. uh, we had a chance to ski together in, in Whistler, and uh, We'll get everybody to. Uh, we'll get you to tell everybody a bit about you in a moment. Uh, but one of the reasons I want to have you on on board uh, this week was, um, you know, you have expertise not only in skiing but in boot fitting, and that's your your company. Uh, is it uh, uh, TR? No, the the control room. TR. Yeah, TCR. The control room boot fitting. Cool. Yeah, based out but, of Western Columbia. And and I think what's really exciting about it is that we have. Um, as we go through our, our journey of skiing, you know, boots are so fundamentally important to whatever we, we do, and they're that main connection. So I'm excited to have you on board because uh, we'd love the chat, and we know that you've got some, some, some great ideas. And let's be honest, for a long time, you fit my boots too. So I love you for that as well. So anyway, so uh, that's enough about me talking about you. Why don't you talk about you and tell us a bit about where you are uh, physically right now? Uh, well, uh, physically, I'm actually in my uh, garage, in my house, uh, in uh, the Rainbow Subdivision in Whistler. I have uh, beautiful views of the lake, except for here in my garage, which is, uh, you know, it's it's a location that allows me to run my business the way I want to run it, which is very customer focused. Uh, it's just you, me, boots, as you can see behind me, a boot press and uh, all the the accoutrements, the tools that I need to uh, to fit your boots. Yeah, for, for whatever reason you've come to see me, my job is to kind of answer the questions for you and uh, and help you get to the end goal. Oh, brilliant. Well, well, we'll dive into that a little bit because you've got a slightly different take on, um, not a different take on boot fitting, but you, you approach things different perhaps to a traditional retailer. And we'll dive into that in a second. But Obviously, uh, you know, growing up uh, and, and spending time outside, spending time in the mountains, uh, what drew you, first of all, to the West Coast? Uh, what drew you to spending time uh, in Whistler? Well, uh, born and raised Vancouver Island. Uh, you know, I used to ski um, at a little mountain called Forbidden Plateau, which no longer exists, unfortunately. 
um, and uh, then to Mount Washington, which is starting to become a burgeoning resort on the island. And uh, you know, Whistler at the time, once I had done some certification for the CSA and for uh, Canadian Association of Snowboard Instructors, I um, you know it was the place to be in Western Canada. Really, it had a training program. It had the environment, uh, you know, amazing, beautiful mountains, coastal range. So yeah, you know, I, I got drawn here a bit professionally uh, initially, but uh, you know, I now have family here, um, you know, a wife, three kids, four kids. Um, you know, yeah, like it's it's become a home. I actually drive into Worcester now and feel more coming to home than I probably do when I go back to the Comox Valley where I grew up. Oh, really? That's that's amazing. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. The minute you hit Brandywine Falls, you know, you kind of know you're almost home. The minute you hit Function, you're you're on the home stretch. So, yeah. <laughs> anybody who knows the layout of Whistler, you you're only five k from home once you hit Function, and you're just happy to be. Oh, it makes me smile so much. I'm just thinking about the drive and everything like that. That's that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Um, so when you were, uh, if we if we cast your mind back to um, when you were first starting out, um, do you remember your first ever day on the snow? Um, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> my first ever day on the snow um, was just with buddies, to be honest. And, you know, it was the classic... Uh, I, played a bit of hockey when I was younger. They were all hockey players. And uh, you know, it was just like, oh, it's just like skating, but the skates are longer. And then uh, I think my mom was a bit fearful that I would probably die doing it. So uh, Forbidden skating, Plateau, not hockey. Yeah. yeah, not hockey. Yeah, hockey, she's like, oh, puck in the face, who cares? But skiing, she was a bit more concerned that you were in the environment where you could probably die. So uh, I remember my brother, my sister and I, uh, spring break, uh, you know, my, my single mom driving us up to Forbidden Plateau for, you know, a, a three-day spring break ski lesson, you know, beginners never ever, it was like $79 for three days, lift passes and, and ski equipment. It was, it was, that was kind of a very auspicious start. I didn't ski again probably till I was about 18 or 19, to be honest. Wow. It was say Forbidden Plateau, was it, um, I envisioned my head like a, a small, obviously little flat hill, more or less, obviously put the name like plateau and you know what, a drag um, lift and, or is it a rope? No, tour? no, you know, it was a, it was a quite an established little hill at the time. It was actually Mount Beecher, uh, it, Mount Beecher um, Alpine Society was the, who ran it um, through the indigenous, uh, the, the Comox nation. Uh, it was called Forbidden Plateau. It had quite a history behind it. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, you know, it had one, two, and three or three chairlifts, all doubles, fixed grips, maybe two pla a platter and a T-bar. You know, it was that mm. iconic family kind of little hill. You know, we, we used to have a race there that was actually quite well known called the Kandahar. Um, it was a downhill race. Um, it ran probably right until 19, I graduated in 87, so probably like 85. Like, I think they had it, you know, um, and then it was bought out by some local businessmen and ran for a while. And then it kind of, you know, it was one of those things that a fire in the lodge and it just slowly kind of became a place where it was, uh, you know, it, it just it was it was hard to function at a profit anymore. It was hard to function as a society anymore. And uh, Mount Washington had started to grow and it had bigger backers and more money and you know, and uh, so that's, yeah, it just kind of fell by the wayside. It, all the lifts are still there. 
um, you can hike there. There's amazing hiking, crazy blueberries, like, yeah. But, wow, uh, you know, it's, awesome. it's, it's, it's only remembered by guys about my age and older, so. 29, right? Yeah, 29, going yeah. on 30 this year. <laughs> I and wish. So the, uh, and uh, so, though you obviously you, you recall your first day and then you were at uh, Mount Washington, you said, is that correct? Yeah. Yep. So what, what is the, uh, the most memorable day that you had at Mount Washington? Oh God. Um, this is a bit of a stray, but I think the day that I drove my uh, 68 Dodge school bus that was camperized into what we used to call the blue ghetto and uh, started my six, seven year tenure there as a resident at Mount Washington, actually. I lived in an RV park for almost eight years. Really? Um, summer and winter. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, it was a, quite an iconic experience showing up, parking it and being like, well, it ain't gonna run any longer. So this is where it's gonna stay for the next little while. And, and uh, that started my, you know, my real career. Uh, I actually was a chef working at the restaurant for a while before I, I started my career like in the snow industry sort of thing. <laughs> um, and uh, when you say chefing, you're actually like doing like not proper cooking, not like just flipping burgers or something like that. You're actually doing proper. You know, Mount Washington was trying to become a resort that yeah. had, you know, they had a, they had a pub, they had mm -hmm. a, um, a bar and it was, uh, you know, it was getting to that point where more and more people were staying up in the evenings and they were trying to provide an experience for them. Um, you know, I was there right until they actually built the, a proper pub slash restaurant uh, in the main building that was different than the cafeteria that we tried to turn into a nice dining experience uh, for the first few years I was there. But um, yeah, you know, working with another another gentleman, Steve, who was there, we we were, you know, we called ourselves chefs. We were 20 years old and and uh, you know, trying to make a menu for this fine dining, et cetera, et cetera. But, that awesome. was that was the start to the resort life, really. So, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, if we fast forward from from then, you obviously then you say you moved to 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 obviously some of the west coast, obviously all the west coast, but you moved to to Whistler and like that. <clears throat> so now you're uh, in Whistler, and obviously, um, you know the two mountains. Uh, I'm going to ask the most controversial question, as that you know that, that's probably <laughs> known. I hear it coming. Um, I don't care. Is 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 care. it? I was gonna say GLC or the Wizard Grill. It's oh, <laughs> Merlin's. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> the GLC. Um, you know, I, I always hoped that I would be a member of the Good Looking Club, but uh, <laughs> you know, I think I just snuck in under the radar somehow. So, so, so you alluded to the fact that so between the two mountains, you don't have a you don't have a preference. No, you know what, Phil? Skiing is skiing. I mean. Uh, you know, I, like I say, I grew up on a hill where you only had seven runs and you could make every run interesting over and over again if you tried. And uh, and uh, it's the same for Whistler and Blackcomb. There's, they just offer so much diversity. You know, it's just, it's just, just playing on snow. You know, yeah, it's, it's always interesting. It's always fun. And so uh, obviously between the two, uh, you know, between the two mountains, though, we'll, we'll dive into boot fitting in a second, but uh, between the two, how do you, if somebody asks you to describe the both, I mean, if you if you were to take either mountain and to drop them somewhere else in the world, yeah. they'd be fantastic as standalone items of, of their own uh, own accord. Yeah. But between the two, how would you describe the characteristics of, of each mountain? Well, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, you look at, um, you know, the old, uh, 
you know, the old rumor used to be that, oh, you know, Black Home was, you know, computerized. It was, uh, you know, it was laid out by a computer. And the reality is, is, you know, Whistler was a mountain that um, when founded by what, like Wilhelm Franz or whoever found it, uh, you know, it, 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 it followed the contours of the land. It was, you know, I, the thing I love about Whistler is that you, you kind of just ski the contours. You, mm. you ski here and there and everywhere. It's roly-poly. It's... Uh, no, kind of like, kind of sometimes like there's a surprise around every corner, you know. Um, but but if you're if you're a professional, um, you know, Black Home is an amazing training mount because it's it's fall line and it's straight and it's uh, you know it's got runs on it that you can ski for a very long distance and you can watch and and you can see and assess. And, you know, so I I, I like. I like Whistler because I'm lazy. I like to walk out of my locker and into the gondola and I'm at the top of the mountain without having to be in the rain if that's uh, if that's happening. Um, I love Blackcomb because, you know, I don't spend as much time there. So it's always an adventure. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Whistler is just a, it seems to be a bit more of a natural kind of free flowy mountain that, that follows the contours and Blackcomb is a little bit more structured. And, and those are, if you ask anybody, they'll kind of say the same thing a lot of the time. So uh, I know that you're obviously a very effervescent person, very creative. Um, you're a dinner party. How would you describe each mountain as, as a person at a dinner party? Uh, you know, um, geez, that's a good one at a dinner party. Um, you know what? Whistler is Whistler is your grandpa. Whistler is your 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 young at heart grandpa that can do anything with anything. He can fix anything. He can make something out of nothing. Uh, you know, he's 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 probably built his own home for crying out loud. You know, and uh, and Black Home. You know, he's maybe your smart uncle. You know, he's he's put some time and thought into what he's going to do. He's invested wisely, and uh, he's he's enjoying. You know, maybe a, a little less of a, of a rugged life than, than grandpa ever had. That, that's how I would see it. I love it. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of have, I have a vision of like Blackcomb having an iPhone and Whistler having like a Nokia 6210 sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> I would say rotary maybe sometimes <laughs> on the wall. Yeah. Got, Big say, spiral cord. <laughs> <laughs> going, going back, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's really, uh, that's awesome. And, um, so uh, I, I always like to ask this as well, but um, if you were to have uh, your perfect day, snap your fingers, could be anywhere on the mountain, your perfect run, you know, uh, you, you don't have to tell all your secrets in terms of where it would be on the mountain, but if you want to tell us, it's just you and me, it's fine. And like uh, my, well, my, my other three it, listeners, it's fine. Well, hang on. So it would probably be gondola to the top and then you'd get in the helicopter. Oh, fair uh, enough. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. You know what? It, it's again to like, as I alluded to earlier, you know, it doesn't matter. There's, you know, a good run is a good run. Like, you know, a sneaky little, you know, a sneaky little out to Franz's meadow first thing before peak chair opens and, and you get face shots, you know, down through into Franz's Creek. Like, you know, there are places that people know, but they, they don't go there sometimes because they're like, nah, they don't know what it's going to be like. And that's part of the adventure. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not. I, I don't really care. I mean, mm. a perfect run is just getting up and skiing any day. You know, like, that's whether so, it's groomer corduroy for ripping or whether it's powder you're just on skis you're just in the mountains it's all good i was chuckling to myself because i think if i asked the same question to Otto, he'd probably turn around and say it's pale face goats oh god pale face yeah yeah <laughs> over and over again with an espresso at the end yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. oh that's pretty cool so um 
So if we if we maybe move over towards one of the main reasons to chat to you about with uh, <laughs> ski boots is uh, I mean in terms of your your uh, pedigree in terms of how you've been learning about ski boots and work with that maybe you could take us on a bit of a journey in terms of where you uh, learned about ski boots and ski boot fitting and uh, you know you obviously did um, some work. Um, and a few different shops and, and then obviously you decide to branch out on you know but if you were to, yeah. to kind of rewind a little bit and, and uh take us through how you got involved and kind of interested in because you know i i sometimes see that there's um two sides to the coin where you have people who perhaps go down the the the, the, the teaching learning technical side of things and then you have another yeah. side that kind of obviously go down the the uh boot fitting equipment side of things now there's obviously a, a blending of them both and everybody kind of looks after both sides, but you've obviously taken to taken to the, the boot fitting side of things. So I'm quite curious to find out what made you decide to go down that, that, that particular route. Um, well, you know, uh, what I used to do in the summer at Mount Washington was construction and build. And, um, you know, my dad was a mechanic his entire life. And so, you know, I've always been kind of hands-on, um, you know, I've always been a bit three-dimensional looking at things, you know, how do they fit, how do they work? Uh, you know, I don't want to say I'm an engineer, but I have a pretty good grasp of how things get connected. And, um, you know, having come to Whistler and, and you know, um, had a few people fit me in ski boots per se, uh, when I started to train from level four, the reality was that, you know, you would go and see these very well-known boot fitters, uh, you know, Ernie Tysowski, Bill Lamond, uh, George McConkie, uh, Jay Taylor, Kim Hodal, like there were guys that were there. Um, and again, it, was, it wasn't based on what you had said earlier. It, it wasn't based on what the person was trying to accomplish in their scheme. It was, it was based on like what they felt. And so it was very, you know, I, I, know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, uh, diss anybody. I, I don't want to say it was bad, but there was a lot of reactive boot fitting based on what the customer told you. And, and the more I worked to understand what I was trying to do in my scheme, the more I realized that the two were very much connected. Um, so, and there is my daughter. That's all right. I've got a, I've got a cat here. Can, no, you can go find something else, please. Um, so yeah, so <laughs> so um, the the thing was, I had to put those two things together in, in fact to actually develop how I fit. And I had some great mentors. You know, I had had guys that had that been fitting for years, Ernie, uh, Bill Lamond. Um, but again, it, it was more towards what this what they asked for you to do to their boot as opposed to what they might need necessarily. And so. You know, I looked at it from a different point of view. I mean, I've been fitting now in Whistler for 20, geez, 21, 22 years, I guess. And it probably wasn't until the last five or six years that it really started to meld the two together even more. Um, as I took what I learned for my own boot fitting and, and how it helped me to attain the level four to start looking at other athletes and go like, hey, try this and try that. And maybe you'll see some differences, right? So, you know, it, it's it's a never-ending journey you don't stop learning um you know I, I i've done things in the last few weeks with people's cuffs that all of a sudden made a huge change in how they ski um which i probably wouldn't have done five years ago i would have been like oh the, the cuffs move side to side that's the way it works right you know mm -hmm. atomic is a fantastic brand when you think you know you have this ability to rotate the cuff but those little things 
you never stop learning. You know, if, if you want to think the why, like you asked me, you know, why I went down this road. Well, I think it was because I, I realized how much benefit it was to me. And so, you know, I think being a trainer and helping other people, this was something that could really support uh, what I asked you to do. Move like this. Let's make your boot work like this. Those two things should support one another. And I saw results. You know, I, I, I've dealt with more and more instructors over the years that I've seen great results and seen them achieve some of their goals in, uh, in the ski world. That's quite cool. I, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to phrase the question in the right way, but I'm, I'm <laughs> no, but, but what it, I, I'm, it's obviously a slightly chicken and egg situation that, yeah. you know, when you reach that level of, uh, you know, uh, of being an expert boot fitter, expert skier and, and trainer and like that kind of these, the, these worlds kind of collide and yeah. You mentioned beforehand that you had people that were coming to you in turn and saying, I want this done to my boot. And, you know, you having the, 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 the tools and the skills would turn around and say, I will do this to the boot. Um, and, you know, they would go off and see a, a, a result. Yeah. But, you know, if we were to uh, shift the paradigm slightly and, and say, um, you know, I, I'm curious about the, the, the hindrance versus the helping of, of having boots. Um, versus improvement you know is at what level at what level is it um somebody needs to change their movement patterns and their skill set versus correcting lack of not saying lack of skill lack of mm, i don't skill isn't the right word where you can adjust the equipment enough to fix a physical physical difference yeah i mean i would call it athleticism like okay um, yeah yeah. there's there's a from day one like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, a beginner can, can benefit incredibly from having a boot fit, from having someone at least put them in the right piece of equipment to help them at that level. Now, you know, you and I know, having been in the industry for years, that, you know, flexes are different, stiffnesses of boots are different, shapes the boots are different. Um, you know, so to answer your question, I guess, it, it's, it, it, there is... There is no, you get to a certain point and then you should start thinking about getting boot fits. Like, you know, you should go to a, a store and, or you come and see me and I'm going to direct you to find the right product right off the bat because from day one, it's going to be something that helps you to get better and, um, and, and be more effective, right? You know, so it's like running shoes. If you, if you think about going for a run, uh, you would never just grab any old pair of running shoes you find at the front door and tie them up and go for a run. You know, you would you would take the time to make sure it's the, the right pair of shoes. You've got a right and a left. They're your shoes. You would lace them up the way you feel comfortable or the way that maybe the running shoe guy said, hey, try this. Mm-hmm. And off you would go, right? Um, without that kind of understanding of your equipment then yeah you see a lot of people that they get a rental boot it feels okay in the store but static and kinetic are two completely different things so yeah i I think it's from day one from day one you need to have somebody help you to find the right piece of equipment to start with and we we were having this conversation before we uh before we started recording about the difference perhaps between resort versus uh, resort-based fitting versus perhaps um, non-resort-based fitting. And I think there's, there, there's uh, 
maybe there's uh, preconceived notions. I mean, I think when all is said and done, it, going and seeing an expert is, is first of all, the, the best thing to go and do. Um, the benefits of seeing somebody perhaps in resorts such as yourself is, you know, if they, they stand behind the work, they, you go and get the, the, the job done, you can go and test it. And if it doesn't work, you can come back and, and see it. Yeah. But for somebody who perhaps is coming to resort, it doesn't have to be West, so come to a resort for the first time, um, you know, walk us through your thought process in terms of, you know, um, you know, what are things that they perhaps they should look for? I mean, you, you said from the outset that you, it's worthwhile to get a, a boot fit done initially, but what are some things that people who are perhaps just, you know, coming out on their second or third, or the, let me phrase this, they're going on a significant holiday. So therefore... Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah. they have an investment equipment. Maybe they're on 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 the on the uh, border there. What are some things they should think about in terms of their their boots? Not talking skis, boots. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think it's uh, it's like any big purchase, and you know, boots are a big purchase. It's a personal purchase. You know, it's something that you're 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 going to put on your feet and wear. Um, you know, the more questions the salesperson asks you, I think the the more inclined I am to uh as a customer a first-time customer to trust that person they're they're not just you know like what size are you and here's a boot um you know they're they're looking at their models on the wall they're asking you questions about where you ski how much you ski you know what are you looking for in some of the boots um and I, you know i think the biggest thing would be is that they also educate right and, and you and i've spoken about this uh and i'm sure we'll speak about it more today but they start to say, well, you know, if you uh, if you do want to go and pick up the kids from from uh, the daycare afterwards, you know, maybe a walk mode boot in in resort for you isn't the worst thing in the world. Uh, you know, one of those hybrids. Uh, how wide is your foot? How long is your foot? There's a lot of questions that need to be asked before that person will, um, you know, pick or choose the proper product for you. And I think, you know, as a first time walking into a resort, you know. I, in all honesty, I tell you, you go to the smaller, you go to the smaller locations first. You don't go to the big, you know, you know, oof, might get fired for this one, but you don't go to the can skis. You don't go to the sport checks, you know, even a little bit like maybe, you, you know, you don't, you don't go, you know, I don't think Snow and Rock has a resort based retailer, but you go and you, you look at the, the smaller, the fanaticos, the, you know, Wild Willies when Bill Lamont was around, Alpine Pro, you know, uh, you know Whistler Village Sports, because the the, pro, the probability of that person um, probably having been there for a while, um, they're not a seasonal employee, they might have been there for 10, 15 years, you're hoping that you kind of find that product knowledge, um, and you hope that you find that that person's maybe been able to, um, you know, replicate a repertoire that of questions that then starts to really justify what they're going to put on your feet mm. and i would tell anybody that, you know and and forums there's so many forums nowadays online that you can say going to whistler looking for boots you know and, and then making up your mind there a little bit. and um you know uh, obviously that kind of leads us on slightly nicely to, to what you do, which is slightly different to perhaps a traditional quote unquote retailer. Um, so, you know, many people perhaps walk into a store and they would have a wall of boots. And, you know, uh, we were saying beforehand, you know, a lot of the times the, uh, <laughs> my favorite analogy is to say that, you, you know, it's very much like Harry Potter. 
<laughs> that the, yeah, yeah. the the wand chooses the wand you. you the wand yeah. chooses you the foot chooses the boot you don't choose choose it and in a very similar way but you do something different uh compared to perhaps a traditional retailer and for those people who don't know what you do perhaps you could share with us what it is that you you do uh yeah so um you know in my lifetime as a ski instructor and a boot fitter um i've only ever really skied on three products to be honest uh um you know i i started uh, working as a boot fitter and um, I started working as a boot fitter and then made friends with uh, a rep and started on the Solomon brand. Uh, I did a lot of R&D for Solomon um, and Atomic at the time, uh, Armor Sports. Um, you know, uh, our mutual friend, Mr. Jason Rowe, uh, spent many a time in a boardroom with him and Steve Kerr looking at products and trying to give my feedback. I moved to Technica. And then now I ski on head, but in all three of those products, um, I was never tied to selling just that boot because as you just alluded to earlier, the foot fits the boot. So the foot, the foot picks it. And so um, what I do differently than other retailers is I, I took that, I took that product out of the equation. Um, I don't have any, you know, other than my affiliation with one product, if it fits your foot, I'm going to use it. If it doesn't, I'm quite happy to go elsewhere and find other makes, other manufacturers. And so my business model, if you want to call it that, or my, my ideology is that I spend more time doing assessment of the foot, your goals, what you're trying to achieve in your skin. And then I, I, I become the wand master, if you want to call it that. I'm going to pick the right boot for your foot based on what you and I have spoken about, what your goals are, you know, some of the anomalies you might have on your feet, you know. And so that's the route I took. And I, I kind of want, I've stuck to that for the last two or three years where I, I don't carry any product other than fitting products, things that I will use within the boot or outside of the boot, like booster straps or lifters or shims. Um, I don't I don't carry ski boots. I, I send it out to other uh, other retailers. So when somebody comes to you then, um, somebody comes to you and says, hey, hey, Aaron, I'm, uh, I'm looking to get a pair of ski boots. Yep. Do they come to you first, to your, to your garage, and, and, and perhaps you might give them an assessment, and then through your experience, uh, do you then turn around and say, right, so based on your foot shape, what you've explained to me, chances are um, this model and this sort of flex would, would work for you. And yeah. from there, uh, this is a list of retailers uh, that you might find uh, the product. Um, is, is that kind of what you do? Yeah, hundred percent. Like it's, um, you know, it's a bit of a burden sometimes. Uh, you know, I don't, I probably don't deal with a lot of the customers we just talked about. That kind of first time coming to the resort, they finally decided to buy a pair of ski boots. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I get, I seldom get that customer. Um, you would come and see me. We would do an assessment, and yeah, I would, I kind of leave you to your own devices. Uh, as you know, I work with a lot of professionals. Um, who get pro deals. They, they have a contact somewhere in the industry, um, you know, or I introduce them if they are a professional working on the health full time, I will introduce them to my contacts and say, you know, this is Phil Gordon and, uh, you know, he's a level four ski instructor working at Whistler. He's, you know, looking for this boot. You know, can you go from there? Traditionally, people would put you in the boots they have. Right. Traditionally, people would be like, well, I've got these boots on the wall and you say you're a high performance skier, so you need a race. boot." And, um, you know, I won't lie. I mean, I, I, I remember times where, 
you know, in the old days, we would fit people into a boot and we would do thousands of dollars worth of work to it. We would, we would think that was a good boot, you know, like we did this and we did that and we modified this and we modified that. And, you know, manufacturers have now, I mean, manufacturers have done an amazing job over the years of looking more to, and this is kind of, a, you know, kind of leads into, into what part of my philosophy Philosophy is, which is, you know, comfort breeds performance. You know, a comfortable athletic foot that is active and functional and and works the way a foot should work is going to allow you to ski so much better. So don't really worry about what boot you're going to be in until I'm 100% comfortable that that boot is going to work with your foot, with your ankle, with the shaft of your leg, in a way that we're going to come to the end result we're looking for. That's really cool. And it's always about the end result for me. Yeah. It's about, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I don't. I was, was going to say the, 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 the aspect there of um, a comfortable foot, you know, breeds performance. How do you balance that with, without having too much space? Because comfort is, is a very subjective thing versus, yeah. um, you know, I mean, how do you describe comfort yeah. to, 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 to a customer? If, if, if that makes sense. Well, and I think this is, you know, this is, you know, where the education side kind of comes in and the collaboration side, you know, you, uh, you need to be fairly empathetic, I think, as a boot fitter, you need to kind of understand what, you know, what, what's a one on the pain scale, what's a 10 on the pain scale, um, you know, what is a, what is a level of pressure that a beginner can accommodate versus the level of pressure that a, that someone who's in a foam liner with a cork footbed, et cetera, et cetera, needs to accommodate. And I think, you know, that's a bit the black magic, if you want to call it, of boot fitting is, is, is finding that sweet spot. And uh, I'll tell you right now, you, you, you never get it perfect. You know, you, I tell a lot of my customers that you, you, you're like an artist working in four mediums. You know, you've got plastic and foam, and that's your ski boot. And then you've got flesh and bone, and that's your human leg you're going to stick in there. And I don't know anybody on this planet that can take four completely different mediums and make them work together harmonious you know a hundred percent of the time and it comes back to education again it's like what needs to be tight what needs to be relaxed and I don't want to say loose because no ski boot should ever be loose um and what needs to be you know grippy and firm and what needs to be kind of soft and comfortable and, and when you start to educate the customer to that, like, yeah, you should have some toe room. You should be able to wiggle your toes a little bit in your ski boot. You shouldn't be pinched in there like you're in a cowboy boot from like the 1970s. Um, but, you know, you should also have a heel that's well planted. You should have a, something holding your ankle joint, the steering mechanism for the ski. And the more you collaborate with your, your customer, the more you educate them as to like, it should feel like this so that you can do this inside the boot. I think you get closer to that, that, that paradigm that you just said, that kind of comfort versus performance. Um, you know, I, my, um, when I was younger, I used to uh, drive uh, uh, rally cars um, out of my dad's uh, garage. Uh, and you would sit in the seat that was designed for somebody else. And although the seat was super expensive, it wasn't designed for me. It didn't fit my body, you know? So it's the classic case of no matter how good that boot is without somebody modifying it to fit your parameters, it, you may not find it comfortable. It may be the highest performance seat out there in the car, but without someone modifying it to fit you, 
it's not comfortable. So you will not perform to the level of the person that gets into that seat and is just like, boom, this is this is fine. So it's it's up to the customer to kind of tell you, you know, what their level of comfort is. Um, you know, a beginner is always going to look for, you know, oh, it feels like a slipper. This is lovely. Well, you don't ski in a slipper, sadly. I mean, if you did, it would be I mean, a much more leisurely sport. <laughs> you, you could, you sure, yeah, yeah. You know, so that again comes back to kind of my assessment of looking at the different shapes of the boots, the different lasts, some of the different properties, um, you know, and, and then trying to marry it to what that person's ultimate goal is, their end goal. That's, um, I, I'm curious to find out for, from you. I mean, you obviously mentioned, you know, uh, comfort breeds performance. Yeah. <sighs> Do you have a, a customer or an experience that has been the most transformational that you've, you've done or you've dealt with in terms of uh, the, the boot fit uh, or the, the journey that you've worked with somebody through so um, that you've seen a, a marked difference in terms of either their skiing performance or uh, life change in terms of them being able to go? A life change. Well, seriously, because somebody may, may not be. Hallelujah! You know, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, there, you know, I don't want to sound egotistical, but there's been a lot of them. Um, and, and again, it's not anything really to do with, um, you know, yeah, it has to do with what I've done to their ski boots, but it's more, again, their realization of like what can happen when the boot fits. And, you know, I'll use the term differently than what they're used to, you know, the the old adage of, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. There's, there's a lot of people in the industry, you and I know them, Phil, who have like, this is how I fit my boots and this is how I ski. And you're like, okay, great. Well, what if you changed a few things? Um, what if you changed it so that your foot did this instead of that? Um, you know, I, I just recently worked with a fellow, um, a level four who, you know, uh, I've known him for probably seven or eight years now, uh, who's always got his boots fitted, you know, by somebody else. And, uh, you know, and I, he, he hated skiing. His feet were always cold. He hated skiing, he took his boots off at lunch. He took his boots off. He would do two runs, take his boots off, you know, in the morning and have breakfast. And then he would put his boots back on and he'd like, uh, he'd have them all undone. He'd do them up, he'd ski, um, you know, and we, Finally, I said, look, you, you got to come see me. We have to sit down. We have to talk about this because I watch you ski and you're a phenomenal skier. And I want to see you progress further with your career. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Legends of the Brand. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Listen, drop us an email at info at legendsofthebrand.com info at legendsofthebrand.com if you'd like to reach out and get in touch and make sure to check out the show notes also at all the w's at legendsofthebrand.com take care have a great day bye-bye